Welcome to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week, a preview of AZPM's newest podcast. So joining us now in the studio is Tony Perkins, a familiar name, a familiar voice to our AZPM listeners. He's the morning edition news anchor. He gets up before all of us do, but he's now also the host of More Than a Game, our new sports podcast that debuts this week. Tony, welcome to The Buzz, and tell us a little bit about uh, More Than a Game. Well, thank you. You know, I do news here at AZPM, but I've covered sports in both this country and around the world. And the one thing I've discovered in all the stories that I've done is that the best stories come from people, not from those scores and highlights and the great pictures, dramatic scenes that you see, but the people who who make all this happen. That's what we're going to try to apply here in Southern Arizona. Find the people behind the stories and bring those stories out. And I do have to brag on Tony for a minute um, because he's a modest guy and won't do it. You just won a regional Edward R. Murrow Award for small market radio sports reporting. As you said, you've got some experience and now you've got some hardware to go with that experience. So let's talk about this first episode that we're going to let everybody hear. You did the first story, and it's on a new UA scholarship sport. Right. And it sort of starts with a young man who was a student at the U of A back uh, in the late 1960s. And he went overseas. And during the time that he studied overseas, he found out about a sport that he thought was kind of interesting. It was similar to football. It was called rugby. And it caught on here at the U of A campus. It became a club sport. And now it's developed into such a large following that uh, they're offering scholarships for the first time. We have international students who are interested in coming to the U of A, taking advantage of the university's athletics reputation, and uh, building themselves up to possibly professional careers in this sport that's really recognized around the world as uh, one of the most exciting uh, and physical sports there are to play. And this is rare for a Division I school the size of the University of Arizona to make this a scholarship sport, isn't it? That's right. Very few schools, uh, Arizona's size and reputation, have uh, offered scholarships for rugby. Um, It's really something that's really starting to take off in the western states. Cal Berkeley has a great team. Brigham Young University has a great team. Rivalries are only now starting to develop. And Arizona's uh, in the lead already. We're at the very top, and they're getting more and more interest. Well, who knows? The University of Arizona, known as a basketball school, a softball school, trying to be a football school. Maybe we'll become a rugby school somewhere along the way. (laughs) That's right. And, and, and of course, uh, the podcast also has uh, some input from yourself. I did get to get in on this one episode of the podcast, not something I get to do a lot. Like you, a lot of people might not know, I did some sports broadcasting, and I got to sit down and I kind of combined for the segment I did, uh, news and sports. I interviewed a guy who's very well-known for not doing sports, a guy named Jay Dobbins. He was a 27-year veteran of the ATF, federal undercover officer, 
He is the only federal officer to ever fully infiltrate the Hell's Angels. And he wrote a book about it, and he speaks about it a lot. But what people forget about Jay is that he's from Tucson, and he was an outstanding high school football player and a really good college player at Arkansas and then came to the University of Arizona. And what we talked about was how what he learned in football and on the field from coaches and things like that carried him not only through his law enforcement career, but also through life in general. And when he retired from law enforcement, he went back to football. So we get to talk football and life skills as taught on the gridiron uh, with a guy who's got some some life stories to tell. And again, that's what we're sort of concentrating on. It's about those personal life stories. Sports has a lot of uh, exciting aspects to it, but uh, it's the personal experiences that are drawn by the individuals who participate in athletics that make it really interesting. We were just up in Bisbee a little bit ago today and preparing a story for the podcast. And it's about the history of the Warren Ballpark, you know, the oldest continuing operating ballpark in the country. The um, number of names of athletes who have performed there, who have played there, have gone through there, is just amazing. And if you think of the history of that venue, dating all the way back to the early 1900s, and it's, they're still playing baseball at it today in Bisbee down near the border. It's a great story. And you bring up the border. We've got a series, I guess, within the series, within the podcast that our colleague Katya Mendoza is going to do for the podcast on border baseball. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we get to meet Katya's dad because he played baseball down on the border in that. Like you were saying, it's stories of real people doing sports that maybe we haven't heard before. Right. And Tucson, as the book says, is a basketball town. And we're not going to ignore the U of A and uh, the different exploits that are happening in the major collegiate sports. But there's uh, a lot of stories to be uncovered that you don't get to hear about. That's the challenge for us. And I think that we're going to find some really entertaining and informative stories for people to follow. More Than a Game is the name of the podcast. It drops on Wednesdays. First episode is out. So we look forward to all the upcoming episodes. Tony, thanks for spending some time with us. And with that, I'm going to turn the show back over to you as host of More Than a Game. I'm Tony Perkins, and this is More Than a Game the podcast that takes you beyond the box score and tells the Arizona sports stories you've never heard. On this episode, we hear from a local football legend who became famous for breaking up a motorcycle game on what the sport means to him. But first, we learn about the University of Arizona's newest scholarship sport and its rise in prominence in the United States. There's a fast-growing sport that includes throwing, catching, downfield pursuit, and punishing tackles. It isn't football, but it is drawing attention in Tucson. Thanks to the University of Arizona's newest athletic scholarship program, the city 
could be North America's latest hotbed for rugby. In the fall of 1969, at a time when political and social turmoil simmered and boiled on college campuses across the United States, a student started something special at the University of Arizona. John Allen Schmidt, just back from a stint of studying in England, turned his fellow Wildcats onto a sport he learned while living abroad. What a way to come out in your home tournament first match against the series leaders, the tournament champions. 54 years later, rugby at the U of A has grown from a college club craze to a sport in which student athletes have professional aspirations. They're coming to Tucson to take part in a program that's one of the fastest growing collegiate sports in the West. Really, we're seeing club sports emerge here. U of A men's rugby head coach, Sean Duffy. I've coached on both coasts. The West Coast is where it's at, I think. It's just better weather. There's also a lot of really good teams. Um, and there's teams that are on the rise. American football's roots can be traced to rugby and soccer in Great Britain. A combination of the two British sports in the early 20th century created a team contact activity that grew so violent that U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt had to step in to keep players from killing each other. Rules were put in place to tone down the violence in America's rugby offshoot. In contrast, pure rugby was played without pads. This form of the land acquisition game put an emphasis on strength and conditioning instead of disabling collisions. Fast forward 100 years, and the sport boasts an unusual degree of variety. There's rugby union with 15 players per side, league rugby with 13 players per side. Rugby played on the international stage, dramatized in the 2009 movie Invictus, about the underdog South Africa squad that challenged for the Rugby World Cup. There's also wheelchair rugby, rugby played in the snow, rugby played on the beach, women's rugby, and the massively popular sevens, which opens up the field to produce the quickest plays and the most exciting athletes, like American Perry Baker. This modern game, with its massive international appeal, has sprouted professional leagues. Players sign contracts worth a million dollars a year to play for teams in hotbeds like South Africa, New Zealand, and Australia. As with other sports, young athletes from overseas are enrolling in colleges and universities in the United States to train and develop their game. Again, Sean Duffy. Between our fields, our training center, we already have great practice fields. Um, we've already got great support when it comes to like medical and things like that. So we're, we're very blessed to have what we have. And in many ways, you can see these students really being true student athletes. It's, it's our guys, our, our men and women of, of the rugby program, you know, really are, are paying to come here. They're paying fees, they're paying to be a part of this. And so um, we want to give them the best experience possible and try to give them as much of that support as they want while still focusing on their academics because that's the most important thing. The Wildcats' top rivals on the men's side include Cal Berkeley and Brigham Young University. But with more schools like the U of A now offering rugby scholarships, 
The competition is turning more fierce every season. You know, there's going to be teams in the next few, three or four years that are going to see this model that we're doing, and they're going to want to emulate that. I get calls all the time, and our thing is that's great because we know that a rising tide will lift off boats. The money being offered for professional rugby isn't at the level of the NBA, the NFL, or the major soccer leagues around the world just yet. But observers of the sport say it's just a matter of time. And the elevation of rugby to big-time status at American universities will only move the ball closer to the goal. You're listening to The Buzz. I'm Christopher Conover. This week we're previewing AZPM's new podcast, More Than a Game. Here's that show's host, Tony Perkins. Type the name of the most standout Arizona football players into Google, and you'll get videos that sound like this. And they're going to run it with Wiley, and he's got the first down. Wiley is gone. Michael Wiley, touchdown Arizona. Wilson gets a handoff into the end zone. Touchdown Arizona, and the Cats are back in front. Now rolling left, hit from behind, fumble, ball is loose, picked up by the Wildcats at the 15 to the 10, into the end zone, touchdown Arizona. Here's the snap, Scott throws, it is caught, touchdown Arizona. They have tied the game with 19 seconds to go. But if you put the name Jay Dobbins in, the videos sound notably different. I was part of the Hells Angels investigation, which we named Operation Black Biscuit from 2001 to 2003. I had set the stage for a murder. The infiltration case ends, and then my true uh, identity, like who they thought to be Jay Bird Davis, turns out to be Jay Dobbins. Dobbins was a standout wide receiver at Swarrow High School in the late 1970s. He played a year at Arkansas before returning home for three years at the University of Arizona in the early 80s. Dobbins tried for a pro football career after his Wildcat days, but opted instead for a career in federal law enforcement. He became an agent for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, where he worked a number of undercover operations, including the one that brought him fame an infiltration of an Arizona chapter of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. Once he retired from law enforcement, Dobbins returned to football, finding a spot on various coaching staff for local high schools. AZPM's Christopher Conover recently spoke with him about how the sport he excelled at taught him lessons that have followed him throughout his life. Tell me a little bit about your experience playing football for most of the time you were a kid. Well, football had a huge impact on ultimately who I became as a person, uh, my my profession after my football days were done, um, like how I view life. Uh, Team sports, and and in my opinion, football, um, are great builders and developers of all those things that you need uh, in your life to be successful and achieve. When you say team sports and specifically football really gave you life training, in what ways? Well, you're part of something that's bigger than yourself. I was never the star on any team that I played on. I, I always was a role player. And I learned to embrace what my contribution to the bigger picture was. Um, and, I, and I fell in love with it. Uh, I wasn't a guy who caught a lot of long passes or touchdown passes or received a lot of the glory for amazing plays. 
Um, I caught a lot of short passes, got my head knocked off, uh, caught passes when we needed a first down. And I embraced that. I loved it. I, I knew what my role was. I knew what I needed to do to help my team. And I was very content with trying to be the best I could in that role. When you were in high school, I'm guessing you knew you wanted to play in college. For people who didn't have that athletic ability to know that they could go to a D1 school, how did you prepare? How did you get yourself mentally set for that? Well, I was a very, very good high school player. I was a good college player, and I was a bad pro. And so every step you take, it uh, highlights and exposes your flaws because the competition rises. And so every step I took, my failures as an athlete became more and more obvious. Um, so, but, but for me, I never had a plan B. I only had a plan A, which was to play football, to be the best football player I could be. And ultimately, when that came to an end, it leaves you, like a lot of young people, looking at yourself saying, like, man, I have not planned for anything other than what my objective was. Now what? Now what am I going to do? You mentioned you were a bad pro. Now, people might not understand. Well, how could you be a good college player and a bad pro? Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, I went to the 1985 NFL Combine, and I had a very successful college career. Um, the one that I was proud of. So I go to the combine and my mentality was like, this is my chance to show off and to show who I am against the, the best professional candidates coming into the draft. Um, I met a kid from Cutstown State that I'd never heard of. Um, and I told him, where's Cutstown? You know, I'm shaking hands with him. And he's like, it's in Pennsylvania. And I shook hands with him and slapped him on the back and told him, you know, good luck today. Have a great workout. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm going to whip this guy. Um, there was another guy I met that was from a little school in Mississippi. Never heard of these guys. Ten minutes into the drills, these guys, these players that I'd never heard of, they were bigger, stronger, faster, quicker, more athletic, more skilled. And so that plan A dream started fading like literally 10 minutes into like my test drive into where I thought I was really going to show off. Now it turns out the guy from Cutstown State was uh, a kid named Andre Reed who played for 15 years in the NFL and is in the Hall of Fame and played in four Super Bowls. And the guy that was from the little school in Mississippi went to Mississippi Valley State. It was Jerry Rice. So Two guys I, who had some careers. Well, you know, at, at the time, I didn't know who they were. They turned out to be two of the most amazing football players to ever put on a helmet and shoulder pads. And so I wasn't judging myself against the fairest level of competition. But nonetheless, I realized I'm going to have to do something else to make a living because I can't do what these guys can do. So you, you ended up with the ATF as an undercover agent. That's a whole separate podcast. But again, going back to what you said, talking about what football taught you, how did that carry you through a very successful long career with the ATF? Well, I was a federal agent for 27 years. During that time, I focused on undercover work. I was a part of, of over 500 undercover operations. Um, I bought um, everything from pea shooters to shoulder-launched rockets, uh, from street dope, dime bags to cartel level dope. 
uh, from homemade PVC pipe bombs to servo-activated electronic uh, IEDs. Um, I worked on home invasion cases. I played a hitman and murder for hire cases. All those things that were a part of my ATF career ultimately had a tie back to my football days. Um, all those same elements applied, hard work, toughness, resiliency. I came on the job on a Monday. I got sworn in. I raised my hand. I received my badge. Four days later, I was taken hostage and shot. The bullet went in my back. It went through my lung. It narrowly missed my heart. It exited my chest. So after four days, I'm laying in the dirt of this trailer park with blood coming out of my chest like you're holding your thumb over the end of a garden hose. And so those elements from football like were like right back and, and needed to survive that. Yeah, I, I was asking myself the question, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do about this? Are you going to lay here and bleed to death and die? Are you going to get up? Are you going to fight back? Are you going to do something about it? That, that's not all that different than the experiences that an athlete goes through. A little more dramatic, yes, of course. Uh, but nonetheless, those same um, skill sets and that same mentality was at play. After your career with ATF, you came back to Tucson. You were based here a lot in Arizona, but you came back to Tucson started coaching and until last year you know coaching high school football he ended up head coach out at tank of verde what was that experience like having been a high school player having tried to go to the highest level now coming all the way back down yeah i coached uh, well i coached youth sports for probably 25 years from my kid when my kids were in youth sports so like i was putting a ball on a tee, you know, at tee ball for six-year-olds and coach pitch and all those things in youth football and flag football. I coached at uh, South Point High School for 10 years under Coach Benet there. Um, I, the last three years, I was the head coach at Tangiverde High School. Um, all different experiences and, and different uh, demands on you as a coach. Uh, but the common denominator was like I was able to take some of these uh, life's experiences and then try to translate them back to young people so that they could be understandable for them. And that was uh, beyond teaching football skills and techniques and strategies and, and coaching a team. It was very personal for me. I wanted the kids that I coached to try to avoid the mistakes and the failures that I had experienced through life. And I told them repeatedly, you're going to make mistakes. That's life. You're going to get things wrong. We all do every day. But don't do these things. And these things were the things that like were embarrassing or humiliating or that I carry shame for. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. If you do this, I can tell you how it's going to turn out. And it's not good. And I'm telling you that from a firsthand experience. It sounds like, and and maybe people who don't play sports, you know, don't think about this, but you weren't coaching as much sports as you were coaching what happens after you graduate and chances are aren't going to play. Well, in my opinion, great coaches uh, teach a lot more than the techniques or the tactics of their sport. They teach life. They teach life skills and they, and they take young people and try to give them some guidance and some inspiration. And, and we're all looking for that. That doesn't stop when you're young 
It doesn't stop when you're an athlete. Like every day, I'm looking for someone or something to model myself after, to be inspired by. When it comes to high school students, those of us who have earned our gray hair uh, always say, well, it wasn't like that when I was in school. But now you've spent th many years, but three years as head coach out at Tanka Verde most recently. What's the football atmosphere like now versus when you were playing, when I was in school, things like that? Sure. 40 years uh, have made a big difference. Um, I think kids are different and they're coached different. You can't coach kids today the way that I was coached. They're just, they're not receptive to it. There's so many more distractions for them. I had very few distractions. I was able to really focus on the things I needed to focus on. These kids are today are getting pulled in so many different directions and they have so many different demands on them. It's much tougher to be a kid now than it is when, when I was, you know, an athlete. Um, I, I don't think that you can coach kids as hard as I was coached. But I do tell my players, never shy away from hard coaching. Since we're talking about sports, as we wrap this up, what's your favorite sports memory? Well, there's there was plenty of like game time events. There was plenty of plays or, or specific uh, catches or anything like that that are in my memory. There's games. There's big games. I have to say that uh, what we're doing, that I never played on a team that lost to Arizona State. Um, but really the most important memory is my teammates. And I think that comes down to another one of those life's lessons is that uh, relationships are really the most important thing. And so the relationships I have with those teammates and had at the time and continue to have um, and watching, you know, some of my teammates at times struggle through life and then others go on to amazing achievements. None of us are judging or comparing anybody else. We all just love each other and, and we admire that time we spent together. I had amazing teammates who supported me and cheered for me and, and raised me up when I succeeded and picked me up when I fell down. And that's, that, that's really my truest, most treasured memory. All right. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. That was a preview of AZPM's latest podcast, More Than a Game. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes as well as episodes of More Than a Game online at azpm.org and subscribe to either show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona or More Than a Game. We're also on the NPR app. Zach Ziegler is our producer. He's also the producer of More Than a Game. He had production help this week for The Buzz from Desiree Tucker. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.